0: This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I want us to imagine this morning as we start this new message series what was taking place at this particular moment. Pentecost has just occurred Peter delivers his sermon, 3,000 souls are added to the church. And this is how the church is responding as it first gets started. Everybody has everything in common. People are selling their possessions so that another brother or sister does not have to be in need. This is the characteristic of the early church. And we, of course, know it spreads like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire all the way to October 31st, 2021 in Powder Springs, Georgia at Lost Mountain Baptist Church. We are recipients of this gospel. This gospel has been entrusted to us. It speaks of the Lord Jesus himself overcoming death and overcoming sin by his very life that he offered and the death that he died and his rising from the dead. And so this new message series is called It's All About the Gospel. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about how, one, the gospel is incarnational. Two, the gospel is holistic. Three, the gospel is transformational. And finally, in week four, we're going to be talking about how the gospel is received. And that will take us all the way into the Advent season. But I'm so excited to be able to have the opportunity to kick off this message series. It's unfortunate circumstances, for sure. um, But the Jeffries clan is on their way back. Um, Judy and Tim, Holly, and myself had the opportunity to fly out to uh, be with the family and to uh, attend Sharon's dad's memorial service, and it was fantastic. Uh, The way that Matt stood before these family members and friends and shared the hope in the resurrected Jesus was unlike a lot of funeral services I've been to. And before that, Sharon gave a beautiful eulogy of her dad. But the centerpiece of the entire service was fixated on this gospel that we're going to be talking about today. And so I want us to dig right in to what we're going to be talking about. So in approximately 62 AD, Dr. Luke writes his gospel as well as the book of Acts. To Gentile Christians to give an orderly account of the early church after Christ's resurrection from the dead. Luke is one of Paul's traveling companions, and as he writes his gospel and the book of Acts, Paul at the same time is imprisoned in Rome, writing to the believing church in Colossae in order to encourage them not to forget about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Colossians today. That's where we're going to camp out. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. So go ahead and make your way there. We are going to be concentrating our attention today on the gospel as incarnational, And what does that mean? It seems fitting that we're approaching the Advent season because this is the time of our year where we concentrate on the reality that God wrapped himself in human flesh and was deposited into humanity. This is what the incarnation is. God assuming flesh and making his dwelling among us. And so what do I mean by the gospel being incarnational? I mean the gospel manifests itself in and through human relationships. In other words, we are a visible presence of the ongoing proclamation of the gospel. So if we are legitimate Christ followers, we've been entrusted with a message that has to be preached that has to be talked about, that has to be spoken. And so Paul spends the first part of his letter to the Colossians recalling the overwhelming sufficiency of Christ. You'll recall in chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, Paul says, "...He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created." The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, follow along with me. Paul says, Since then, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The imagery that Paul is speaking of here is one of taking off and putting on. It's like if you had ratty old garments that you wore around as clothes, you would want to take those off and to put on new clean clothes. This is what Mark Minel says, in the early church a new believer would take off old clothes before being fully immersed in water, representing dying and rising with Christ. Then he or she would put on new, clean clothes, representing what they had become in Christ. So, later down in the chapter, in the latter part of verse 9 of chapter 3, Paul says, You have taken off Your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul is communicating that this is the mentality characteristic of a gospel believing community, the local church. Remember, the gospel is incarnational in that it manifests itself in and through human relationships. So how how does it do that? Okay? I'm a practical guy, so I need steps. Anybody like that? You need steps, you need checklists. You have to check those things off in order to feel like a productive and contributing member of society. I am one of those people, and so I need lists. So how do we do that? Number 1, people respond to the gospel within a relational context. Let's go to verse 12 of chapter 3, and we're going to walk through these verses very systematically. So it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. This is Ephesians 4.32, the idea. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you what this is literally saying in the original language it's saying the bowels of compassion literally the bowels of compassion because ancient people believed that the seat of the emotions was located in the lower visceral like this is why we walk around and we say things like man I feel it deep down you understand like you you've said that before or or a common one I hear today is, man, that hits deep. I don't know, younger people say it. I try to say it, it doesn't really work out for me, but maybe, like, after the service today, you can meet me out in the hallway, and you can say, hey, Jake, that message today, it really hit deep. Or not, if it didn't, but. So if it doesn't hit deep with you, then just keep your ugly thoughts to yourself, Okay. So be kind and compassionate. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. Humility is commonly viewed as a weakness, but make no mistake, this characteristic is the will of God for every single believer. Gentleness. This is the idea of domesticating animals in order to be used for the purpose of their master. Are you characterized by gentleness as a Christ follower? Are, are you ready and willing to be used for the purpose of your master in whatever he should call you to do? That's the characteristic of what it means to be gentle and to really embody that. And patience. Be ever mindful. <laughs> be ever mindful of God's patience with you. It's going to greatly assist you when you need to be patient with, with others, which is very often. We have to be patient with each other. And it says, bear with each other. In other words, don't seek retaliation with a fellow brother or sister in Christ. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. This is implying probable future action. Has anyone ever dealt with a complaint in the church before? These things happen. We are messed up individuals trying to figure out our way in and through life of the church and what God has called us to, and we are natural-born complainers. And so we have to deal with this. We have to deal relationally with one another because the gospel is incarnational in the fact that it manifests itself within human relationships. Complaints are going to be there. And forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Romans 15, 7. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the distinctive mark of a genuine Christian. If you bear the name of Christ and have not love, what does it say? You are a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. All you do is make noise. And so as Christian people, as followers of Jesus, we have to be known by the way that we love. It's a distinctive characteristic. So putting on these virtues is how we respond to the gospel within a relational context. Number two, people grow in the gospel within a relational context. It says, beginning in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This reminds me of John fourteen twenty seven, where Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So it's saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So I had the opportunity to fly a lot this week. I had a lot of connection flights. Tim and Judy Holly are seasoned pros, they were leaving me in the dust. They were quick to get to gates quick to make things. I mean, it was just amazing, like trying to keep up with them. But something I was particularly paying attention to was the pilots. And as I was preparing and piecing this message together, I thought about this verse in particular, about letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, because I'm thinking about the pilots that have come into my life since I've moved to Georgia. One of them is Tim Holly. one of them is Dale Wolf, one of them is Tom Lindsay, and Stephen Farmer. Those are the only four I know as of right now, but there are probably more um, that I'm forgetting. They're just a lot of pilots. But here's the interesting thing about engaging in a conversation with the individuals that I've just mentioned. Have you ever realized, like, how just even keel they are? They're very calm, like, they're very soothing to talk to, and it's like there's something about their countenance that has prepared them for the job that they actually do. And so, being a pilot, you have to earn the right (laughs) to take an aircraft up in the air. You spend hours upon hours in simulators and training and flight school and doing all those things. I don't even know all of the stuff that they have to do, but make no mistake about it, by the time that they're in the air, they've earned the right to be in the air. And so me, I have a really difficult time with taking off, and I was having a conversation with Tom Lindsay about this, and he's like, yeah. Taking off is really unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're really not helping me out here. And even, even on the connection flights, I, I would find my, myself next to random people, and there's one guy next to me that's totally like, as soon as we're taking off, and I'm like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Do you know something that I don't? Is this thing going down? I do not do well on takeoff. I'm the guy that has the Pez dispenser that's full of Dramamine and I'm just sitting there popping it. I do not do well on taking off. Once we're in the air and everything's leveled out, I'm cool, but everything leading up to it, man, it's making me a little anxious just thinking about it, just telling you about it. But when you're a pilot, there's something that has to rule you so that you can maintain a steady course because you're responsible for hundreds of people or you're responsible for precious cargo. And so you've earned the right to be in the air. And I was thinking about that and I was just like, if the peace of Christ is supposed to rule in my heart, why am I not putting in the sufficient time so that it actually rules in my heart? Why am I not spending the time with him that is necessary? Because if he has left his peace with us and it is supposed to rule in your heart, you have to train yourself to let it rule in your heart. Just like a pilot does. They get up there and they know exactly what to do. If an emergency occurs, There's a procedure that they follow. Much like us in our walk with Jesus, we have to train ourselves in order to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And what does that mean, like heart? This is the Greek word cardia. We understand, we've heard this before, an echocardiogram, a cardiologist This has to do with the heart. The heart is a metaphorical way of referring to the entire person. The thoughts, motives, and actions attributed to the heart fully reveal the individual. That's what Bob Utley says. And continuing on, it says, Since as members of one body you were called to peace. Make no mistake about it, God takes the initiative in drawing people to himself. John six forty four. no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. And be thankful. Thankfulness is another mark of a maturing believer. Let the message of Christ, let the message of Christ, the gospel, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here it's obvious that the early church utilized different kinds of music. The key has always been and will always be the posture of the worshiping community and not its musical preferences. The early church utilized multiple methods of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Think about the songs that we sang just this morning. Take, for instance, God So Loved. Can we tie this to the gospel? Can we tie these particular songs that we've sang thus far? What about God So Loved? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. John three sixteen and 17. What about stand in your love? Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Psalm 62, 2. How great thou art when I consider your heavens The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. And in just a minute, we're going to sing living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we grow in the gospel within a relational context when the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, when we are thankful in every circumstance, And when what is sung and taught during the times that we gather together are biblically faithful to the gospel. Finally, people live out the gospel within a relational context. Paul says in verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As believers, we do not live for ourselves. Our presence upon the earth after receiving Christ to be our Savior and Lord is about going and telling and inviting others to come and see. J.D. Greer, in his book, gospel recovering the power that made christianity revolutionary says in the church the world sees a unity that staggers the mind that shows that all people have a common ancestry god a common problem sin and a common savior jesus those who are outside the faith are especially confused when they witness authentic followers of Jesus carry with them the mercy he supplies, and then they offer it to the merciless. I can think of, of no better movie clip than the 1998 interpretation of Les Miserables, the one with Liam Neeson. And we're going to watch a clip in just a minute, but I'm going to set the stage for what's going on. Jean Valjean has just been released from prison after about 19 years for robbery, and he is in route to his parole officer, and he has nowhere to sleep. And so nobody is going to invite a convict in for the evening because he has papers saying who he is. And finally, he's poked at with a stick by a woman who says, you haven't tried over there. And he finds himself in front of a bishop's door. And the bishop welcomes him in. They feed him a meal with beautiful silver spoons and dishes. They give him wine. They give him a bed to sleep in. And what does he do? The former ways begin to occupy his thoughts and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he begins loading his sack filled with the precious silver spoons that he had eaten dinner with and then the bishop gets up and he hears what's going on and he confronts Jean Valjean and Jean Valjean slaps him across the face and knocks him out And he goes on his way. He leaves having stolen what didn't belong to him. And now he's just as much a thief as he was when he was in prison. So now he's on the run. And this kind of sets the stage for what I want us to see. Take a look at this video clip. Man, what a beautiful picture of mercy begetting mercy. You getting something in return that you do not deserve. You, as an authentic Christ follower, no longer belonging to your former evil ways. And we know the rest of the story. He goes on to live a completely transformational life. But it started at that moment. It started at that moment when he understood finally that he was the recipient of something marvelous that he did not deserve just like you and I are. Greer defines the gospel this way. The gospel is the announcement that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son Jesus to die as a substitute for our sins, and that all who repent and believe have eternal life in him. Our need to be at peace with God is absolutely essential, yet it's only attainable through Christ. Jesus lived a virtuous life of sinless perfection while upon this earth because he was God wrapped in human flesh. The gospel is incarnational. He was crucified on a Roman cross in order to satisfy God's wrath against sin. Directly before taking his last breath, Jesus utters the word tetelestai. This is an accounting term commonly written on business documents, meaning paid in full. The debt we owe has been satisfied through the death of Christ, and his body was placed in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to to keep its hold on him, as Peter records in Acts two twenty four, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, demonstrating his defeat over sin and death, and this is the hope that his followers have held on to throughout the ages as we wait for his return to establish a new heaven and new earth where everything is going to be as it should be. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart, remember, cardia, your entire person, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Justified meaning, The removal of sin while simultaneously declaring you righteous. And it is with your mouth that you confess and profess your faith and are saved. The gospel is as much for the ones who already believe as it is for those who don't. You and I need to rehearse the essential truths of the gospel to ourselves every single day day why because moment by moment we forget we forget that Christ is completely sufficient for us you will walk out the door today and so will i and we will get caught up in some sinful activity that is contrary to the character of a holy and righteous god This is why we need the gospel, moment by moment. In honor of it being Reformation Day, the day that we celebrate the fact that the Protestant reformer Martin Luther nailed the 95 at theses to the church in Wittenberg, he says this, the devil is ever on the alert to insinuate all kinds of wickedness into our hearts and would fain make them as cold as ice. Where God's word is not repeatedly proclaimed in sermons, in hymns, in private conversations so that we may not forget it or become callous towards it, there it is impossible for our hearts, which are burdened with many an earthly pain and sorrow, with wicked purposes and the devil's malicious instigations not to fail and to fall from Christ. Thus, it is an urgent necessity that the preaching of the gospel continue among us, that we may hear and retain it. Otherwise, we would soon forget our Lord. My prayer for us today is that the message of the gospel would be fresh on our tongues in the many different encounters in the situations that we find ourselves in this week. If our hope truly is in the gospel and it manifesting itself in the context of human relationships, that changes everything about the way we interact with one another. You and I both know that Christianity outside of the church is getting a pretty bad rap these days. We're not loving well. We're not even loving each other well. And we have to. Because the peace of Christ must rule in our hearts. And we have to be transformed into His likeness This is the life that He has called us to. And for a professing believer in Christ, we have to look as much like Him as we possibly can in hopes that other people will want to know about the hope that resides within us. Let's pray together. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.